if you would, turn to the book of Haggai, chapter 2, as we are going to finish this book today, as I promised last week. While you're turning there, I'd appreciate your prayers on a couple of matters. Uh, the reason you have not seen a text or an announcement about the funeral for Peter Webb, uh, I was with the family Friday at the funeral home. We viewed his body. His wishes were to be cremated and his ashes, uh, some of them to be spread with his father and then the rest to be taken home uh, in an urn next to a photo so that his children can kind of, you know, use that as a remembrance. Uh, because of this, they have time, and Peter had many family members out of state and in the military, so his wife Sarah is planning a memorial service in a couple of months, uh, So, but she's asked that it would be here and that I would do it, so I, you will hear more about it as we get closer. I told her that the middle of June was very bad, <laughs> VBS and summer camp, uh, but uh, we're getting it planned, so you will hear about that, but she's trying to coordinate families in different states and military service, so we're giving her all the time that they need for that. Uh, the other thing is, this Saturday, I leave for Ecuador, and I would appreciate your prayers. I am not anxious about the trip in any way, except one. Uh, we have a layover in Miami from Jacksonville, and I was told that's the most dangerous part of the trip. Do not leave the Miami airport. Stay inside. <laughs> and once you get to Ecuador, you'll be safe. <laughs> but I would appreciate your prayers, and of course, Pastor Robin and the deacons will be here. I do not know about my phone service yet, so I, I will have to just see when I get down there. Haggai chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then I want to do a somewhat brief exegesis of these 23 verses, and then start the message about them. I think that's okay with you guys. Like You, you like the Bible, right? Amen. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pray over this text. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, we know that you will shake the nations, Lord, but I pray that you shake the hearts of your people. Lord, that we would look inward and see the calling and ministry you have called us to. Lord, let us know more about what we are supposed to do for your kingdom than what everyone else is supposed to do, Lord. Lord, let us not know all the problems of the world, Lord. Let us know instead the gospel for the world. The only thing that can truly save or change anyone's heart is your son and his message of repent and believe in me. Lord, help us today to be shaken, but Lord, not in a negative way, where I quake in fear, but Lord, instead, in a positive way, where I shake in, in the awe and respect of your holy name. Lord, when you speak in thunder, Lord, I will not fear the storm, but I will respect the power of your glory. We ask this today in your name. Amen. Amen. So he comes to Haggai in chapter 2 in the seventh month in the first verse. On the 21st day, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, and said, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnants of the people, and say to them, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Pause right there. God is reminding them of the former glory. That was the house of Israel before the Babylonian captivity. He's reminding them that my house stood as a beacon of light to this very dark world. But you don't remember. You weren't there. You didn't see. The stories were not passed down to you. Parents did not teach the children about the story of the glory of the Lord. And now they don't remember. And that's why they're in the sorry state. That's why the house lies in ruins as we saw last week. Verse 4. Yet now be strong. Be strong. But you have to remember God's strength removes the excuse 
for my, my sins and my failures. Because it's God who is strong, not me. So I cannot say to God, Lord, I wasn't strong because I messed up. God will respond to you. It doesn't matter. I am strong. And when you're strong in my strength, you will not fail because I do not fail. Stop wasting time asking and begging on your own strength. You're not going to get anywhere. You will only get the flesh. It's the only thing that can answer you when you trust in your own strength. The only thing that can give you a response when you trust in your own power. That's why so many are struggling today because they think they're talking to God, but really they're talking to that part of their brain that is hoping their desires are fulfilled. Instead of reading God's word and knowing what God wants and then asking God for his will to be done, it's in the Lord's prayer. My Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is the great battle. My will versus God's will. My will leads to sin and death. I cannot blame Adam and Eve because I would have done the same thing on my will. Thy will, God's will is better. God's will is best. And why is God's will best? Is it because he's just better than me? No. It's because he's holy. See, it's not about better. You can't measure better between you and God. You'll never measure that. That's too, too, too extended, too infinite. God said, I am holy. There is no ounce or microscopic speck of anything that is not the best within him. Be strong now, but do not be strong on your own power. O Zerubbabel declares the Lord, be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak. You are the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. See, you don't have to just be the pastor to be strong. You don't have to be the most spiritually mature to be strong. God is calling you and your weakness to be strong. And what is strength in God? It is not that I can whip somebody. It's not that I'm going to win the argument. No. In fact, the strength to love your neighbor is being strong. That's being strong in God. God loved his neighbor, the world, when they did not love him. That's God's strength. Jesus loved the people who crucified him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's strength. See, strength, force, and persuasion is not true examples of God's strength. Love and mercy, and grace. That's why I, 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 I hate it when I hear tough country boys say, I don't cry and I never cry. Because I understand what they're saying, but I would also say, when the Lord moves upon you and you feel led to shed tears, don't hold back. Don't, don't stand before God, biting your lip, trying not to be emotional. David flooded his bedroom with tears, and I promise you, I'm sorry, you're tough, but you ain't as tough. As King David, and he flooded his room with tears because real strength is not my culture and what it means to be a man or a woman. Real strength is being what God has called me to be. Be strong, declares the Lord. And then he says something we don't often like to hear. The middle of verse, let's see, verse 5, yeah, verse 4. Yeah, verse 4. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Work. Build my kingdom, build my temple, get into the fields and draw crops and gain extra so that you can give to the poor and you can share with those who have less than you. Work. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. You're worse than an infidel if you don't work and take care of your own. But his work is not just in the physical labor. We can easily get wrapped up in all the things I do for God, but never worship God. 
Work is also the denying of the flesh and the denial of self so that I can enter the temple, making it fully about God, not waiting for the service to end so that I can go home and do what I want to do. That's why church length of a, of a message is so, so silly to me sometimes. Because when you have God's word, the message is being preached to you constantly. When his spirit is in you, guiding you to his holiness, it's being preached in you constantly. In fact, I would tell you, a true believer never stops having church. Because they are the church. That's why I don't get caught up in sermon length. There are some who say you've got to go a full 45 minutes or ain't nobody going to get saved. Like, whew. Lord, I got 42 minutes worth, but I'll keep talking. And I don't get upset if it's 20 minutes long or less. Give me something about Christ worth hearing, and it doesn't matter if it's 30 seconds. It will be good for me. Don't put your righteousness in these works, that it was long enough and that it was good enough. You know how many sermons I've heard that were more than an hour, but they, have, they lacked Jesus so much I could hardly classify them as such? Work, but do not let your works define you. Work because of who defines you? The Spirit of God. Verse 5. According to the covenant that I made with you. And who did God make it with? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Your descendants will number like sand on the shore, stars in the sky. I have made this covenant with you when you came out of Egypt. My Spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. See, God's saying, I didn't leave. I didn't go anywhere. When my temple was burned in ruins, I did not depart from you. You have left me. Remember James chapter 4? Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Why? Because God does not leave. He's the best parent and he cannot leave his children. It's not in his nature. He's not going to do it. It is his children who disobey and disrespect and run away. Why do you think it hurts sometimes? Because God's got his hand on your wrist and you jerk away and he goes, uh-uh. That's the pit of hell over there you're about to fall into. You don't even know. I'm not letting you go. I'll yank that little wrist out of its socket to save your soul. I am with you. So why, don't, why do I, I fear not? Because God is with me. The problem is, I've got a lot of flesh in me and it fears God. And when I put that my mind to the flesh, like Romans 8 says, then I'll be afraid of what God is doing in me. I'll even be unhappy with God's work in me because I'm focusing on the flesh and not the mind of the Spirit, as Romans 8 says. I fear not because even when God says to me, here's my plan for your life, and here's the worst thing probably, I'm going to cause you to be boring. You're not going to be famous. No one's going to write a book about you. No one will quote you. And no one will remember you on this earth after you die. The only thing special about your life is that I put my spirit in you. And I'm going to bring you to glory on the last day. See, that doesn't sound fun. doesn't sound exactly nice. But why do I fear not? Because God is with me and his will for my life is better than any will I could conjure up. Verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, now again, a thousand years is like a day to the Lord, so I don't know how long a little while is. There's a lot of historical elements of this that I don't have time for today, but God does in fact shake some nations around Israel around this time. 
I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Everybody else who thinks they're lining their pockets with gold and our gold and our silver, God says, I'm going to shake them. I'm going to flip them upside down, dangle them like this, and all the coins are going to fall out into my offering plates. And I'm going to bring them into my house of glory. My glory is going to be filled up in this place. Verse 8, the silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Brother Dennis Bastow, I always hear him say, you don't have any money that isn't God's. Church, hear me now and hear me good. It is wrong to ask the question, what are y'all doing with my money? This is the question we need to ask ourselves as we spend money at church. What are we supposed to do with God's gold and silver? What are we supposed to do? It's yours. The glory is filling up your house. The silver and the gold has come in and it's God's. Verse 9, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. But on earth, they don't get back to that. What's God talking about? The temple's destroyed again in 70 AD. Titus the Roman conqueror burns it to the ground, strips the gold out of the rock. What's God talking about? The latter glory. The latter glory of his church. No longer a physical building that has to demonstrate his glory, but the hearts of his children demonstrate his glory. And then finally in Revelation, a new heaven and a new earth and a new temple will be brought down. And they will declare to all creation the glory of Yahweh. That's the latter glory. And it's going to be greater. Why? Because God is going to vanquish, extinguish, and remove permanently sin from his creation. That's why the latter glory is greater. And in this place, middle of verse 9, in its place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. See, that's why I love, that's why I love peace. Because as much as I want excitement in my life, I know that the peace of God is the thing that I truly need. Because without it, I'm in turmoil. I'm anxious, stressed, blood pressure rises, serotonin lows as adrenaline fills up. But with peace, with peace, peace that passes understanding, peace that I cannot teach you, I can't give you. It only comes from God. And it's a, it's a delicate kind of peace. It allows you to stand in the presence of enemies, a fearful situation, and fear not because God is with you. I love peace, but only the peace I get from God. Because my peace can be disrupted. The enemy can come in and destroy my peace, but not God's. He goes on in verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his folded bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. We cannot transfer holiness. We become unclean when we touch things God has declared unclean. Then Haggai said in verse 13, if someone who is unclean, a leper, 
if they are unclean by contact with a dead body even, if they touch any of these things, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, yes, it does become unclean. So according to the priest, I can't make things holy, but I can make them unclean. Think about that now. I can't make it holy because of my flesh and because of my sin and my wicked desires, but I can make it sinful. I can make it wicked because my flesh continuously produces the idol that I love, a love from itself. Haggai is demonstrating by God's inspiration that this system you're under is a type and shadow, as the author of Hebrews will later say. It's not actually saving you. You're walking around touching everything, thinking you're somebody, but you're making it unclean. You're spreading the infection that is, that is killing your soul. Verse 15, now then, oh, I'm sorry, verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, they are unclean. With every work of their hands, what they offer there is unclean. What you bring to God, Paul said, was like filthy rags. It is septic tank leftovers. That's the best you can offer the king of heaven. That's why God had to give you somebody. That's why he had to send a son, a perfect holy son, to offer himself so that you would have something to offer God. And what do you offer God? Lord, I was one of the ones who yelled crucify him, but since that day I have repented and believed and trusted in that sacrifice. And when I stand before you in heaven, I won't offer you any good works. I am unclean. I trusted in your son. Verse 15, now then consider from this day onward before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord. How did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and mildew and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. He's identifying the problem. I struck you. I touched you. I hurt you like Job. But instead of being like Job, you, you people, you did not turn to me. So I sent my prophet to explain to you clearly, to articulate the issue so that you could understand. Consider in verse 18, from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider this, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. They have no justification of blessing. They complained and, 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 and ran a, a, a muck and they turned from God. They disobeyed him, disrespected him, forgot about his temple, forgot about his glory. But God comes down and says, however, but... I will bless you, not because you deserve it, but because I am great, because I am merciful, and because I love. Now, what does this mean for you and I? We are not Jews in this early time period, nor have we neglected God's physical temple. So what does it mean for us? You have neglected his spiritual temple. Right now, there's something in you that you have laid waste in God's house. And God is saying, you didn't turn to me. You kept doing what you thought was right. You kept on sinning, even though you heard a message 
of salvation. However, but I am coming down and I'm going to bless you. Why? Why would he do such a thing? Why would holy enter down into the world which is unholy? Because God loves his children. And though they make mistakes, though they fail, though they sin, God says, I will bless you. And I will not leave you in a place of sin. I will bring you up and make you holy like I am. Look at verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms and the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. The horses, the riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. God said, all the strength the world could bring against you, I will cause to be destroyed. The chariot was the tank of the time. You couldn't stand up against the chariot charge. No one could. But God said their chariots, their greatest technological advancement of war they think they have, God said, I will render as nothing. It'd be like us trying to fight heaven with our battleships and our aircraft carriers. God would just go like this, and they'd be laid waste immediately. This is what God said I'm doing. Verse 23, on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel. Why? Why is he taking this man? Because in chapter 1, when the word of the Lord came, he listened. He led the people in repentance. Look what he calls him, my servant. That's what I want to be found when God comes to do war against his enemies. I want to be called his servant. My servant, the son of Sheatil, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. He's making him a sign to declare his righteousness. And why? He says again, for I have chosen you. See, there's a little thing that we use a lot in our world, but we don't give God very often, or not near as much as we should, and that is called credit. We're always impressed by somebody in somebody's book or work or speech or sermon or any or something. Big, large numbers and crowds gathered. But did any of that happen because men and women did it? It happened only because God did it. So where should the credit rightfully go? Should it go to me? Did I do something here? No. I'm over here on my own, making mistakes, messing it up. I can kill a ministry better than anybody, I promise you. But God, God who is growing his kingdom, God who is saving people and bringing them to himself, he has chosen us for glorious kingdom work. And no spot in his roster is, is better or beneath another. The work God has given you is not greater nor worse than the work he's given me. We must all seek God about our ministry. We should not know everything about what somebody else is doing or doing wrong. We should instead know better about what God has called me to do what he's called me to do. I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. And so finishes the chapter. And with it, my introduction, let's now turn to the sermon. I don't know why you're laughing. That wasn't a joke. (laughs) 
If you would, please get your Bible turn-in pages ready, but I do believe they'll be on the screen. I gave the tech team a lot of verses, but it's God's Word. It's all good. So, Isaiah 35.4, I want to talk about God's strength just a little bit again. We cannot and need not save ourselves. Salvation is found only in the power of God. Be strong, not in your heart and mind. Be strong only in the mind, heart, and power of God our Creator. Isaiah 35, 4, Say to those who have an anxious heart, who are afraid of the work and the battle to come, Be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with a recompense. He will come and save you. I love that picture. You ever been in need of help and then somebody showed up? The cavalry came riding, the, the relief crew showed up. You're trying to change a tire in the middle of the night and your buddy shows up with the jack. I mean, that's the feeling right there. I need help. And they have come to rescue me. That's what God is doing. Our task is to hold on. Hold on until he does. Go to Exodus 19. If you're familiar with your narratives, you'll know where we are going. Exodus 19, verse 16. As you're turning there, I just want you to know that when God moves, the earth doesn't shake because it's afraid. The earth shakes because it is in awe and respect. The same way you want to vibrate with joy at the beautiful worship song, the earth is moving at the voice of God. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. The people are encamped against Mount Sinai, and Mount Sinai is shaking. Verse 17, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. That's nerve-wracking, isn't it? Do you remember meeting your in-laws for the first time? Can you imagine if your significant other was taking you to their house, and you pulled up, and the house was shaking, and thunder and lightning were coming out of it? you would turn to them and say, I don't think it's going to work out. <laughs> They're brought to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. And he shielded himself in smoke to protect them because if they saw him, they would be destroyed. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Just imagine this mountain vibrating and rumbling. In verse 19, at the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Can you imagine the voice of God thundering across the sky? Only saying your name, addressing you, commanding you, to hear the commandments that were shortly about to be given and to follow and obey them. We should approach God this way sometimes. Yes, God is a loving Father. You can approach gently. But sometimes He's on the mountaintop and it's shaken. Sometimes we need to go with a little respect and a little bit of fear and awe. We need to say, this is the creator of volcanoes who erupt. His very presence upon a mountain is making it vibrate and tremble. This is not a God that I just breeze in the front doors of his house and say, hey, I'm here. 
Aren't you glad, Jesus, I showed up? We should never assume we are God's gift. God's gate. He gave his gift in the form of his son. The mountain trembled and shook at the presence of God. In bringing the Ten Commandments, God shakes the people of Israel. They could not approach him in their sin. So we've lost just a little bit of this in our culture. This idea of approaching God with humbleness and respect, the idea that God is not up there in heaven perfectly wanting to give me everything I could ever hope to have. In fact, the Bible tells us what God is giving us from heaven, the ability to glorify Him, the ability to worship Him, the ability to approach a mountain that if I touch, I will die because the holiness will overwhelm and destroy the sin within me. But this holy God is going to come down even further. See, Jesus, who is God, He's going to descend from the mountaintop. He's going to be buried at the base and die for my sins. He's going to enter the earth itself and He's going to lay quiet and the earth will not shake. It will not move until that stone rumbles away from the entrance and He walks out. Go to Matthew 27. Let us leave the mountain that shook that you could not touch now to the Holy of Holies in Matthew 27, verse 50. Matthew 27, verse 50. Jesus is on the cross. He is about to die. And he cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The curtain that separated you from the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go in, and even he had to have a rope tied to him so we could get him back out if he was full of sin. God split the divide between himself and you at the death of his son. The Holy of Holies laid bare. I can go in, but I can't go in and, and remain there if I don't go on the sacrifice of Christ. And it stays that way. Because where's the Holy of Holies now? It's the Spirit in my heart, the mercy seat of my soul being offered as a sacrifice to God. The bearing of sin by Christ causes the earth to shake, the veil in the temple to tear. The curtain was torn from top to bottom that separated the holy of holies in the temple from the outer courts. It signifies that God is the one who ripped this thick curtain from the top where no man could reach. God has to bridge the divide. You and I cannot do it. I cannot get to God. That's why God comes to me. God was showing the way of access that his presence was now available to everyone one of us, not just the high priest anymore. That's why we're called the new priesthood in the New Testament. I love this very ending here, verse 51. The earth shakes and the rocks split. I read an interesting note about this. 
Now, I'm not saying this is true. No one knows. But uh, the Romans have a record of one, during one of their crucifixions of a uh, solar eclipse and an earthquake happening on the same day. It's, it's referenced in sources. And the timing's a little bit off. They think it happened in November, but they have a record of a crucifixion where the earth shakes in their Roman records. I just love that kind of history. History that is demonstrating the truth and validity of Scripture. Matthew goes on to say that tombs were open, people coming back from the dead at this event. But we're going to go on. We're going to go on to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verse 26. It says, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken remain. Verse 28, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Where is our gratitude? I trust in a holy God and I am on a foundational rock of Christ that won't be moved no matter what Satan and the host of hell does, but I'm over here complaining about my life. I'm unhappy with my lot. The author of Hebrews says, where's the gratitude? Be grateful. You're standing on the only foundation that's not going to be destroyed. The only place that's not going to be shaken. And thus, if we are grateful, let us offer to God acceptable worship. There is one thing that defines acceptable worship. Are you ready? Because I'm going to tell you what it is. It's about God and not about me. It's about God and it's not about you. Too often the flesh comes in the house of God and, and tries to twist God's worship into being about itself. That's why we say things like, I didn't like that service. I didn't like that song. I didn't like that preacher. That blue tie was weird. Because we're making it about us. And I can do the same thing. I can make the same mistake. I can get up here and preach things that I'm interested in and want to talk about. Instead of preaching what God has laid on my spirit. See, it's about Him and not about me. And it should stay that way. And when it gets off of that, let the Spirit correct and guide me back to acceptable worship. And how do I do this? With reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. God is once more going to shake the world. Only those based in Christ will not be moved and will have a kingdom that can never be shaken. Go to Revelation chapter 8, please. Revelation of John chapter 8. Verse 1. The Lamb opens the seventh seal. And there's an event that happens that is almost unique in the kingdom of God. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now this is a monumentous event because after this chapter, we're later told in Revelation that God's worship doesn't stop. But for 30 minutes, God silences the choir. 
the angels do not speak. You can hear a pin drop on the golden streets of heaven. (laughs) Why? Scholars have fallen over themselves debating the length of time here. I think it's this. Like the stillness before a storm, or the eerie calm, earthquake victims strive before the shaking starts. Heaven is silent for 30 minutes in anticipation of the shaking God is about to command. Look at verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God. The seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, it rose before God from the hand of the angel. Verse 5, then the angel took it, filled it with fire from the altar, and he threw it upon the earth. And there were pearls of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. When God moves, the shaking starts. And only you, based in His Son, on the cornerstone of Christ that the church is built on, will have no fear. Because you are on the solid rock of a true salvation. It's a whole other sermon to describe all these thundering and rumblings, flashes of lightning, everything God is doing here. But we must go on to Revelation chapter 20. We have a final battle. In chapter 20, verse 7, the, the millennial reign, as it's called, is ending. Time would fail me to get into all the views of the thousand years. But it's not quite our point today. Satan will be released from his prison. And will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they are coming to kill God's people. They marched over the broad plain of the earth. They surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city. They are about to destroy the church. But fire came down from heaven and consume them. Remember when your God said, I will come back with a vengeance? When the army surrounds you, when the enemy surrounds your camp, your house, your temple, your heart, and he is threatening to destroy you? Hope in God and be found without fear because fire from heaven is coming. God waited 30 minutes just to build anticipation for his glorious work. You know why I think it was 30 minutes? God's the best public speaker there ever was, and he is simply pausing for effect. God will shake the heavens and the earth and bring about his will for the end of time. In the same way God rained fire at the the asking of Elijah, God will rain a final cleansing fire upon his enemies and bring about the end of sin and death forever. If you would, please now turn to our final text, Psalm 62. The earth is going to shake. The mountains are going to tremble. And the voice of God is going to thunder across the sky. So what shall we do 
while these things take place. Well, this is where we will stop today with Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2. This is our hope when the shaking starts. For God alone, my soul, waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock, my salvation, my fortress, and I will not be greatly shaken. If you are afraid today, know that in the safety of God, you are safe from the shaking that is coming. Build not your hope upon the world. It is like sinking sand. Do not build it upon others or yourself. You are also sinking sand. Only God is bringing salvation for you. Only Christ is the sure foundation, and only the Spirit points to where they are working. So wait in silence and in hope. The silence mentioned here in this psalm is one of peace. I don't have to fear. I don't have to cry out in distress. I don't even have to ask God what he's doing. I know. When God alone is your rock and your salvation, you will have peace. You will not be shaken when your faith is in God alone. So I leave you with a question. Is your faith in something other than God today? Have you trusted in cultural Christianity, a pastor, a church, a person? Because I encourage you to seek your heart. If you have, it's going to fail you. When the shaking comes, you will be shaken off because that foundation is not firm and not sure. Go only to the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone of the church, the one God has placed there to measure all things by. Only he will not be shaken. And when you are in Christ, you will not be shaken. Pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I humbly thank you for this sure foundation, for this joyous rock that your church is built upon. When my faith is in Christ, Lord, I am not perfect. I sin. I make mistakes. We all do. But Christ has covered me in his sacrificial blood. He has paid the price that my sins have cost. And when I am rooted in Him, when I am on His true vine, when I am standing on His rock of salvation, when God thunders and the earth shakes, I will not be moved. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I ask you to encourage your saints today to make this their hope. I ask all this in your name. Amen.